scripture reading this morning will be from Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, so that you will be tested, and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. I think, uh, think I'm going to do something a little different here before I begin. I feel like a midget behind that podium. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Just feel a little more comfortable this way. So first of all, I'd like to welcome each and every one of you this morning. I'm so glad that you uh, could attend and be here. I know uh, some of you are traveling and some of you are visiting, and it's good to have visitors with us. We're so happy that you've come our way. In case you don't know this and you are a visitor, I am not the regular preacher here. I am filling in for Sean, who is... Uh, traveling. He is actually preaching a gospel meeting somewhere else at this time. So if I appear to be a little nervous up here, I am. Don't mistake that. But I'll try to calm down and settle into the lesson and hopefully it'll all go smooth and, and you will all be uh, edified or at least built up somewhat in the faith. So before I really begin, I'd like to express thanks First of all, to God for giving us another day of life. He didn't have to do that. He chose to. For that, I'm grateful. Uh, this, this lesson, the outline from, comes from Titus Edwards. I appreciate that very much because uh, I don't feel confident enough in my own abilities to come up with my own outline. Also, uh, an extreme expression of faith to my daughter, Sarah, who helped put together the PowerPoint as well. I guess I better figure out how to make that work before I get too carried along here because it's gonna come in handy. What am I doing wrong here? way okay we'll try that introduction scripture reading I want us to be aware of the lesson this morning is on faithfulness and hopefully I will help each one of my brethren here to walk away uh, to being a better Christian that is my hope that I can help you to walk away from here today being a better Christian. The lesson on faithfulness is not necessarily to 
bring one to Christ, but to help those of us who are already Christians become more faithful, more a stronger Christian. So I'll say that on the onset. We have a few more recent converts among, amongst us, and uh, hopefully this will help them as well. Baptism, as uh, those of us who have been Christians for some time, will recognize that it is not the end of our faith. Baptism is merely the beginning of our walk with God. In uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it states, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So if you gain nothing else this morning, if you gain nothing else from this morning's lesson, I hope that when you vacate the building, that when you walk away, with the knowledge and understanding that God's children need to be faithful and stay faithful. They need to be loyal and steadfast to God and to Christ. One needs to be conscientious of their actions, that they remain steadfast to the will of God and our Lord and Savior. Being buried in the watery grave of baptism is just one of the first steps in the beginning of a new life in Christ. So I want us to notice this morning some areas in which we need faithfulness. We need faithfulness in worshiping God. Worshiping God is one way we need to remain faithful. Matthew 4.10 states, When Christ was tempted by Satan to worship him, Christ says to Satan, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. It is time to put away idolatry. We must put God first in our life. You know, at some point, the question should arise in our hearts. What is really important? Who and what takes top priority in our lives? And if the answer is God, which it should be as a Christian... The next question might be, do I act like I believe that? Does the life that I live reflect that belief? This is something only you can answer for yourself. If you are here this morning, I can surmise that worshiping God is important to you that you have an interest in spiritual matters. Part of our worship, as instructed by the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 2, 5, states that 
part of our service as Christians would be as living stones, being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So I would ask you this morning, do you see yourself that way? You know, the Lord's church is not this metal building. The Lord's church is made up of us. Our spirits, our souls, our hearts, our minds. We baptize believers, make up the Lord's church. And we are a holy priesthood. Christ being our high priest and our chief cornerstone, the foundation of our faith. It is through Christ and by his authority that we are able to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. We offer praise. We've done this this morning. We've offered praise and thanksgiving. We offer prayers. We do good works. We consecrate our bodies and our substance to God's service. All these things we do as a part of our worship. As such, part of our worship also is our duty to be here. If we were to turn to Hebrews 10.25, let us do that. Hebrews 10.25, I'm going to read down to about 28. Start at verse 24. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, if we have... If we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. If anyone has rejected Moses' law, dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much more punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. So we are not to forsake the assembling of the Lord's people as we come together to worship. This is a lesson on faithfulness. One of the most important things that you do as a Christian is to gather together with your brothers and sisters in Christ and worship our Creator God. You'll never read these verses in Hebrews 10, 23 through 29, and convince me that it's not important 
to be here at every given opportunity if you are able. You know, the Bible doesn't give us a bunch of good reasons not to come to the assembly. But it does give us good reasons to be here. To be considerate of one another. To stir up love and good works. To exhort one another. You know, it does not encourage me when you're not here. I miss you when you're not here. And so does God. I think I can safely say that. <clears throat> now, I'll, I'll be honest, and most of you that know me know I've been here for a while. I've been coming to this church for some time now, 30-plus years. And I've seen a lot of faces come through here. And I've loved a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ that came through here, and some have come, and some have went, and some are visiting today. And I've seen quite a few of them pass away through the years. I've seen some of them that had to be drove here and helped in the building because they wanted to be amongst the brethren so bad that they would do almost anything to be here. I remember Jean Allen, the woman could barely walk, and she would make it to service if she was able, and so would her husband Bob and Harold Struther. I could name a, a lot of names like that, people who it meant that much to them to be amongst the brethren on a Sunday morning or on a Sunday evening or a Wednesday evening to study God's word and to have fellowship with their brothers and sisters in Christ that they would sacrifice to be here. That meant, meant a lot to me, and it really encouraged me. Max 42 says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayers. They, the first century Christians, were faithful in their worship service. The scriptures bear witness that they were. And we should imitate their steadfastness. We want to be like them. We know that God approved that church in the first century. The ways we worship, the Lord's Supper, we partook of that just shortly ago. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. That's Acts 20 and 7. And our giving, something we also did a little bit ago. 1 Corinthians 16, 2. On the first day of the week, let each of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And then this, something that I'm attempting to do at this very moment, preaching. And I say attempting. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. 
Believe you me, I'm no, not perfect by making the effort. Prayers, we've had prayers this morning as well. We're to pray without ceasing. We're to cast our cares upon God, upon Christ, because He cares for us. We've been singing, singing songs of praise this morning. Ephesians 5.19 says, Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You know, we must worship God in spirit and in truth. We're told this in, in John 4.24. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. This means we must worship with our whole heart. Our hearts need to be in our worship service. And in accordance with his word, the truth, God's word is truth. It's not enough just to show up and be here, okay? That's important, and don't get me wrong, I want you here regardless. But God wants you here regardless. It needs to mean something to you. It needs to mean something to us to be here. Or it is vain worship. We don't want to offer vain worship. You know, there are times... Sometimes, when my head and my heart may not quite be right when I get here. Maybe something's bothering me. Maybe something's eating at me. Maybe I got problems. Me, me and my wife got into a little argument. Maybe, maybe the boss was bullying me at work. Sometimes things aren't just quite right when I get here. Sometimes I might not feel good. You know, sometimes you might not feel good. You're having a bad day. You got a headache. Your feet are tired. You don't feel good. Or maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just a little bit discouraged. Sometimes we get discouraged. Brothers and sisters get discouraged. Sometimes life is hard. Family members die or Someone gets hurt or someone gets sick. There's all kinds of reasons. Our hearts may not quite be right when we come to service. Sometimes, well, the brethren, they're not all that friendly. They're not allowed to have bad days. Sometimes they're not all that friendly to me. And, and sometimes, well, Brother Sean, he gets up here. And man, he just steps all over my toes. And it hurts. Sometimes I stay up too late. I don't get the rest I should. And I, I get up too early in the morning. My wife could attest to that. My point is this. Wait, 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 what? The fish are biting. I could be out there catching them. The golf course has been freshly mowed. 
There's a craft fair. I could be at that. Would I rather be somewhere else? If so, my heart is not right with God. What did Christ do for me? I don't know what he did for you, but I know what he did for me. Lest ye forget, he went to the cross. I can't imagine what he went through for me. He is worthy. Let us worship him in spirit and in truth. Next thing we'll talk about is moral purity. Our faithfulness and moral purity. In case you haven't noticed, if you haven't noticed, if you're not paying attention, you need to open your eyes and look around. We live in a world of, of immorality. It's all around us. If you're not fighting a rough battle, you're not in the fight because it's all around us. We live in a world of immorality, with sensuality, pornography, indecent dress, filthy talk, etc. Those things are not supposed to be part of our lives. We see that in the world, and we're supposed to be different from them. You know, Satan, Satan is very good at blurring the lines between wrong and right. Some people would have said right and wrong. I'm saying wrong and right. I'm saying a little differently. Satan is very good at blurring the lines between wrong and right. Christians are vulnerable a lot of times due to their good nature and or their good intentions. We allow ourselves to be taken advantage of sometimes. I'm not saying that like it's a bad thing. We mean well. But I'll tell you something. One time I heard a young Christian lady, I say young, she was my age back then, I'm not young anymore, but she was young back then. I heard her say that there's a lot of gray area in the Bible. There's a lot of gray area in the Bible. That, that it's not all clear. It's not all cut and dried. It's not all black and white. I'm here to tell you, that's not entirely correct. There may be a little truth. That's not the truth. That's not the whole truth. There is not a lot of gray area, except between our ears. You need to make up your mind, brethren. You need to make up your mind as to whom you shall serve. If I can find this real quick. Matthew 6, 24. 
No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or, he, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. We need to make up our mind who we're going to serve. And I threw that one in for free. The Heavenly Father that I am up here representing this morning, well, my Bible tells me that that God is not the author of confusion in 1 Corinthians 14, 33. A faithful servant, that's, this lesson's about being faithful, a faithful servant of the Lord has made his or her mind up as to whom they will serve. And they will do it daily. You know, like Joshua, in Joshua 24, 15, choose this day whom you will serve. You make a choice each day when you get out of bed, who you're going to serve. You know, regardless of what everyone else is doing, regardless of what everyone else is doing, we should do the right thing for the right reason. It's not always easy. It's not always easy to do the right thing. But let me tell you something, brethren, just like anything else, it gets easier with practice. First John 2, 15-17 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. It says more than that, but that's the gist of what I want to share with you. This is not to say that we can't appreciate God's creation. That's not what this is talking about. We can surely appreciate the splendor of God's creation, its beauty. But what it does say is, what we are not to love is the ways of the world, its passions, its pleasures, its pursuits. People, go get, people get so caught up in worldly pursuits that they forget about God. They forget what's really important. Or they fool themselves into believing that God will take back seat to their worldly desires. Do not fool yourself. God will not take back seat to your worldly desires. In James 4, in verse 4, it says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You know, we are supposed to show fidelity to God. We're supposed to be true to Him, to be faithful. You know, any husband and wife here knows if you're married and committed to your husband or your wife, you don't want them cheating on you. You don't want them messing and playing the field. They're supposed to be committed to you. And God feels that way about us. 
He wants us to be committed to him, to be faithful to him. Titus 2.12 says, Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Maintaining moral purity is to become our way of life. Galatians 5.22 says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Don't those things sound nice? Well, they are nice. That's why they sound that way. Living a morally pure spiritual life produces the fruit of the Spirit. You know, I see, I see, I work, I'm in construction. I work at this big warehouse. I work with a bunch of construction guys, and and then there's a bunch of people in the office. I'm kind of in between the two, being a warehouse manager. I see and I hear all these people with all these totally messed up lives, and I hear all their problems and, and the things that are going on with them, and they complain about, about the big mess that their lives are in. And yet, they won't do a thing to change their lives. They're lost in sin and in doubt. You show me a person with no self-control. And I shouldn't say no self-control. I should say absolutely no self-control. And I will show you a lost soul. They're not reaping the fruits of the Spirit, that's for sure. James 1.27 says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. But I want us to realize, or at least really uh, look at here is the last part. To keep oneself unspotted from the world. Because that's a challenge. It's a challenge because the world, when we confess Christ to, to the world, all eyes are upon us. They're looking at us. They're waiting. They're watching some of them are looking because they want to want to see if you're different. And so some of them are looking because they want to see you mess up so they can point it at you. To pounce. The world is waiting to pounce. The sooner you realize this, the better. We need to remain humble. We need to confess our sins. We're not perfect. You know, they, they think we're, you're a Christian, you're supposed to be sinlessly perfect. That's not exactly how it is. We're supposed to be trying to be the best we can be to God's honor and glory. At least acknowledge that we're not perfect. 
And sometimes we have to apologize. You know what? I'm just a person too. I make mistakes. You know what? You shouldn't hold your brothers and sisters in Christ to a higher standard than you hold yourself. Remain humble. Confess your sins, or at least acknowledge and apologize. Admit imperfection. Don't deny it. The sooner the better. The Bible tells us to repent or perish. Christians are to live pure lives. See this in 1 Timothy 5, 22. Remember before you were saved? Remember before you were saved how you were wandering aimlessly with vain goals or little or no purpose in life? Maybe you weren't like that, but I was. Now you have an aim and a purpose. 1 Peter 1.15 says to be holy in all your conduct. Now your faith and your hope are in God, or at least it should be. First Thessalonians 5.22 says to abstain from all appearance of evil. And your Bible may say every form of evil. That's not a small task, but it's one we need to take seriously. First Corinthians, I'm sorry. First Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. You know, when you can no longer be the good influencer, but instead become influenced by the evil that surrounds you, it is time to leave. Sometimes, the way of escape that God provides... In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, sometimes that way of escape that God provides may be just that. It may need that you need to run away and leave your garment behind, just like Joseph did in Genesis 39. Sometimes we just, we got to leave. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 says to flee sexual immorality. If your friends... Now hear me out on this. If your friends, the friends you choose, want to corrupt your morals, I'm especially talking to young people, but even you older people as well, this applies. If your friends want to corrupt your morals, those are not your friends. They are Satan's friends. And they're out to destroy your soul. We need to teach our children correct moral values. You know, and I'll have to say that 
Some parents here are doing a fantastic job of that, and I commend you for that. And if, uh, by the way, happy Father's Day, fathers. This is kind of to you. Ephesians 6, 4. Let's look at that real quick here. Ephesians 6, 4. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. As I said, happy Father's Day. Dads, need to step up to the plate. I implore you, especially you younger fathers, you won't regret it. The time you invest in your children will be worth, well worthwhile. You know, and I also say this, even though it's Father's Days, moms, because sometimes mom has to fill in for an absentee father or a father that's not doing his job. Moms, this woman who must do this carries a heavy load. Let's support her. Let's pray for her. Let's encourage her because she has a tough task. We also need to have faithfulness and bearing fruit. If you would, turn your Bibles to John 15. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, these are the words of Christ, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather him and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask and what you desire it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. A little story here. My, my neighbor down the road, he has his apricot trees. His trees don't always bear fruit. I guess apricots are kind of notorious for not bearing fruit every year, maybe every other year, maybe every third year they really dispense with a lot of, of uh, apricots. This year's a good year for him. He brought me some the other day and they were very tasty and he told me, come get all you want. And great thing. But some years those trees don't produce anything for him. The only thing they're good for at that point is shade. Shade's nice, but you can't eat it. 
Christians are to bear fruit. Much fruit. And such is a test, a true test of discipleship. Those who don't bear fruit will be taken away. You know, I'm, I'm not much of a gardener. We have a couple of gardeners here. Sherman back there, he always has a nice garden. I think Dave, Brother Dave has a pretty nice garden some years. He wouldn't say that, but. You know, this year I didn't even bother planting a garden because it was so dry early. I couldn't put my poor rototiller through that punishment. So I didn't bother putting anything. But I know sometimes that pruning is necessary. And I used to prune my tomato plants a little bit. But pruning is necessary. Pruning allows for growth. Pruning stops disease. It allows more sunlight to get into the plants for trees. And it allows airflow. You know, uh, Sarah, Sarah O'Neill knew a little bit about gardening. And she told me, because I asked her, I said, why is it my tomato plants are always rotten on the vine? She says, well, you're, I said, where are you planting them at? I said, well, I put them in the back of the yard. She says, no, no, don't do that. Bring them out into the open more. Let them get some air so they don't get fungus. So I listened to her. She had good advice. I, at least I thought she did. I brought them out in the open. I started getting decent tomatoes after that. I was pretty impressed. So gardeners, some of them who know what they're doing, their advice is worthy. But anyways, the, the sunlight and the airflow and all these things, they slowed decay and fungus from spreading. So pruning is, is good. It's a good thing. And it's a careful thing, though, you know. Pruning is something that's done with selection. It's a selective process. It's not indiscriminate. You just go in there and just start cutting things down because that's called shearing. You don't want to do that. You won't have no garden left or no trees. God doesn't do that. God wants his people to be productive. That's why he prunes. He doesn't want us to be complacent. You know what's sad? The way of the world is sad. Some people are so worried about what everyone else is doing, they forget to act. Brethren, there is plenty to do to bear fruit. Don't wait for someone else to do it. It might not get done. We bear fruit by being zealous of good works. In Titus 2.14, Jesus, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Matthew 5.16 states, Let your light 
so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Please make note as to who is to be glorified in that verse. It's God. We don't always receive the glory for the things we do. And I know, I know sometimes we like to hear some praise, but don't be discouraged if you don't get it. God sees what you're doing. God knows what you've done. Give him the glory. You just keep doing the work. Colossians 1.10 states that you may that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Being in, involved in the Lord's work. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the, in the Lord. Ephesians 4, 16 says, From whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. If you don't see how important you are, well, let me just tell you that God sees you as an important part in his work. But you really do need to see it as well. You need to have a vision of your importance in the Lord's church. Because if you think what you do doesn't matter, you're wrong. You know, I come to a point at one time or another, and I think that maybe it'd be good for everyone to, to think, you know what? Even the people, the brothers and sisters, and because we may see someone we think this well, they don't do anything they don't do anything they serve a purpose and they're important it gives us someone to help someone to lift up someone to build someone to be a good example for we all have an important role to play but each individual must step up if we don't do it who will I think I can see that. There we go. We bear fruit by leading others to Christ. And I can tell you that it's best to lead by example. I learned that in the service. You know, that was something the army was really big on. Lead by example, you know, show your men how they should behave and things like that. Brother, and that's true here. Be a good example to your brothers and sisters in Christ. 
2 Timothy 2, 2 says, And the things you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Isn't that what I'm doing here today? I'm not bringing you anything new. Maybe, maybe updating an ancient teaching or to a modern application at best, but there's nothing new to see here. God's word remains the same. It endures forever. First Peter 1.25 Jesus is the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13.8 You know, sometimes, sometimes we may stray from the right path. Galatians 6.1 states, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. We need to be willing to help restore the lost and encourage them. You know, these things require an effort. You might have to reach out. You might have to make a phone call. You might have to go visit. You might have to send a card or call, whatever. But they require an effort. We can also bear fruit by putting our abilities to use in the Lord's kingdom. Every person in here has some kind of talent. Sometimes I'm, I'm overwhelmed by some of the ability that passes through these doors. We have some fine teachers. I, 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 I will sincerely admit I don't feel that I'm one of them. But we have some fine teachers amongst us. And I'm so happy to be a member here. But every one of you has a talent of some sort or another. And you, you may not see it and you may not recognize it yet, but you have it and you need to bring it forth and use it in the Lord's service to the best of your ability. God will accept that. And sometimes your talent's just showing up, just being there. Now, I put Matthew 25 on there. And we're not going to read Matthew 25 because that's a rather lengthy reading. But I will give you a brief summary. We need to be prepared, like the wise virgins. We need to put the talents that God gave us to good use and to be profitable servants, not wicked and lazy servants. We need to make up our minds whether or not we're sheep or goats. We need to make up our minds who we're going to serve. 
because we will serve someone. We can't stand for Jesus if we are sitting down in the Lord's vineyard. I would implore you today to get busy and be more faithful in serving our God. You know, this lesson was mostly designed to build up the saints. And if you're here today and you have a need to respond to the gospel call, or you've not been living as the way you know you should, and you've not been faithful to God, you know, we all go through times when we're more or less faithful. But if you've been unfaithful and you know it and you want to make things right with God, now's the time to do that. Now's the time to rededicate your life to our Lord and Savior, to get busy in his service, to become the kind of faithful servant that he would have you to be. If you're here and you've not, you're not a Christian, and you need, want to know what it takes to become one, we're, we're here to, to help you in that matter, and we'd be glad to attend to your needs. So I would ask at this time that if you have a need, to please come forward as we stand and sing the song that has been selected before it is everlastingly too late.
I'd like to thank Gary for his lesson this morning and his willingness and ability to fill in for Sean while he was traveling this morning. So very much appreciate that, Gary. Uh, just a few announcements before dismissed with the closing hymn and closing prayer. Out of town this morning, we have Sean and Kristen Cavender and family, Jake and Corey Teaser and family, uh, Terry Mears, David Muller, and Jeremy and Mary Beth will be leaving Wednesday. Uh, so we want to keep each and every one of them in our prayers for safe return. I am not aware of anyone being sick this morning, so that's good news. Prayers for those in need, Ken and Jane Cox, Sherman and Cynthia McCoy, and Rex Robinson. Uh, we also need to remember Susan Robinson and her mother and their family as her mother was placed under hospice care um, within the last few days. Shut-ins that we need to continue to remember, Francine Struthers, Selma Brickley, and Marty Harden. Under miscellaneous, support group three, uh, please get with your group leader after services this morning. And last on my list, the last Sunday of the month song service sign-up sheet is in the AV booth for the men um, to sign up um, for scripture reading and for song leading. If there's nothing additional, we will now have our closing hymn. Number 452, it keeps me singing. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. <laughs> 